All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning again. And I thought that my plans were to finish the chapter this morning. And uh, the Lord checked me on it and said he wanted me to back up a little bit and spend a little time on verse 30. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. Uh, and uh, we're going to preach on five truths that will change your life. You know, a lot of people try to trace God when you ought to trust him. Amen. He's God and you're his creation. And where we get in trouble is we try to manage God on our terms. And we try to figure out God. And folks, these five truths will set you free from doing that. And some of them are very controversial truths um, because a lot of people believe this wrong and uh, they have a right to be wrong because the Bible's right. So amen. And so uh, I'm going to preach just a few minutes on you can be sure or five life-changing truths. In Romans chapter 8, and I love verse 28. I want to back up to that and just read it. Might not preach it, but I just like to read it. All things work together. Amen. Let's stand in awe the Word of God. It says, We know that all things work together to good to them that love God, to, to them that are called according to His purpose. I like that word called. I'll be dealing with that in a minute. For whom He did foreknow, He did predestine to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, them he also called. And to whom he called, him he also justified. And to whom he justified, them he also glorified. And verse 31 says, what shall we say, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the good singing. Uh, and the good good mu music, uh, I believe is Christ honoring. And I thank you, God, for those hymns that we got to sing. And Lord, the good choir special that's prepared our hearts for the most important part of the service, and that's the uh, preaching, uh, sounding forth of the Word of God, the gospel that'll set men free. And so, Lord, help us not to ever try to manage you on our terms. And God, figure you out in our intellect. But God, help us to trust the infinite God that knows before we know, and God knows all things. And Lord, we thank you that you're not only an all-knowing God, but you're an all-caring God, that you love us. We thank you for that. Lord, thank you for our visitors. I know we got some family members here from out of town, and we're so honored by their presence. And God, I know the children and relatives are so, so glad they could worship together. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us. Uh, God, not to waste a minute of your time, and God, we'd preach and rightly divide the Word of God. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And you know, I, a, lot, a lot of times people have it all confused about uh, salvation. Some people believe that some are predestined, foreordained for the foundation of the world, that they're lost, and there is no hope. And then some people believe that uh, they are part of the elect and that God loved them more than somebody else so they are predestined to be saved while some people are predestined to go to hell. I don't believe that's biblical and I'm going to prove to you in the scriptures that it's not. I want, to, I want you to notice five words that will help you in this area. Number one, foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. Look at verse um, uh, 29. It says, to whom, moreover, it says, for whom he did foreknow he did predestine. Thank God the Lord foreknows. 
Look at verse 30. For whom he did predestine, them he also called. And folks, I want you to see that in verse 29, it says he foreknew. God sees the future. Matter of fact, the word foreknowledge is where we get the word pronostic or that we have a, what is the prognosis of a doctor will say, what is the prognosis? You'll ask the doctor and, and that's what is my future. Well, I want to tell you something. God knows your future. And God's in the future and he can look back. I know that blows my little old mind and I want to tell you, I'm not even going to try to figure that out. We don't trace God, we trust God. God can't learn anything. Uh, God can't forget anything. And God is never surprised. He's not surprised. Maybe we might be surprised, but God's not surprised. God saw you accepting Jesus before you ever accepted him. God knows it all. And some people go around and they worry that they're not the elect. But folks, I want you to understand foreknowledge. Does God choose some to be saved and some to be lost? Let's look at the scriptures and see what the answer to that question is. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Turn with me, please. I want you to underline some things in your heart at least. 1 Peter, and I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible says, grace and peace. peace. Oh, that's second. That's good too, amen. It's by grace and peace. The elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit and obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Turn over to, uh, or turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 34 through 36. You're talking about predestination and election. You better have a lot of scripture, amen? And look at uh, Romans chapter 11. I hope this is not boring to you, amen? Because there's a, there's a movement called Calvinism going around that's deadly. Uh, they believe that uh, uh, some are predestined, foreordained for the foundation of the world to go to hell, and they're not going to go soul winning. And they're also so intellect, they have a Reformed Baptist church, or they have a, a, ch a church of predestination, and they sit around and study grace, and they never give out the word of God. And folks, that's not of God. I'll just say that straight out. Look at Romans chapter 11. I hope you'll understand it after this message. Romans chapter 11, verse 34, the Bible says, For who hath he known, who, for who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? For who hath first given him, and he shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. And I like that verse back in Isaiah chapter 55. In verse 6 and 7 where it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. I'm glad God's smarter than we are. And I'm glad God's more powerful than we are. And I'm glad God's eternal. And look at verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are the ways higher than your ways. or So is my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so folks, what I'm trying to say this morning and I believe the scripture says it clear and I could ever say, don't put God in a box. Don't try to figure out God and, and look at salvation through your eyes and try to figure it out. Some say, well, God foreknows everything and therefore we don't have, have a choice. Well, if you try to put God in that box, uh, man's free will will jump out of that box. 
And folks, some people say, well, on the other hand, well, God doesn't have anything to do with it. God can't know it ahead of time, and God doesn't have any electing pro- progress. And if all and all and and uh, it's all men that that it, that, and they think about salvation by baptism and salvation by works and keeping your salvation by works, then the sovereignty of God will jump out of that box. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. God said he would no wise cast you out. Look at John chapter 6, verse 37. John 6, 37. This sermon's got to build on you, so please listen the whole time. John chapter 6, verse 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I believe in a whosoever will in salvation. Amen? That's why we have missionaries. That's why we're so excited Thursday night. Uh, Connie and, uh, excuse me, uh, Amy and uh, the children are coming in and Mark uh, coming in from South Africa and stay for their uh, son's wedding uh, that we just took on for support. And uh, we're all excited about it. I booked a uh, couples retreat and so this might be the first couples retreat that I go to by myself because my wife's so excited about being at the airport Thursday night. So we hadn't figured out how we're going to, how we're going to balance all that. But I believe uh, Miss Connie uh, is going to come, go with me to the couple's retreat. Amen? But uh, I'll pray for us. But anyway, uh, and that's exciting. But why would I send my daughter over to South Africa if everybody's predestined, foreordained for the foundation of the world to be lost? Folks, it's whosoever. We've got to get the gospel to them. Foreknowledge of God does not mean he causes it to happen. Some people think that if God foreknows, then he'll make it happen. No, 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 no. Foreknowledge is like this. It's like the little boy that was watching a parade through a knothole in a fence. And he saw one float at a time coming by. And then if they saw that little boy behind the fence looking at one float coming by, and this rich executive that owned a 10-story building across the street said, come with me, son. And the son, the little boy come up to the, about the 50th floor and saw the parade from the inception and saw the end of the parade. And I want to tell you something, that's, that's not a good illustration but I'm trying to get you to see that, folks, God sees it all. And God can go back to the future, and he knew you was going to get saved because he's God. But that didn't mean he makes you get saved, and it doesn't mean that he's going to uh, uh, not have someone else get saved uh, that's not predestined and foreordained. Look at verse 29 in Romans chapter 8. Now, you know why I wanted to skip these verses, but I'm not skipping any of them. Amen. Romans chapter 8, and it doesn't need to be skipped. Every one of them's powerful. It says, moreover whom he did predestine. I want you to look at verse 29. He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now we're guilty sometimes of taking verses out of context, but some people take the words out of context. Amen? They just say predestined, that's it. But if you read the last half of that verse, it's not predestined to heaven, it's predestined to holiness. Once you get saved, it's predestined that you become like Jesus. That's why all things work together for the good of them that are God, uh, that love God, are called according to His purpose. What are you called to do? You're called to be like Jesus. And so, heartaches and pains and disappointments and even deaths can cause us to be conformed to His image. That's the predestination. Amen. But the hyper Calvinists take it out of context and say, no, some are 
predestined to go to hell and some are predestined to go to heaven. And folks, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have much confidence in a God that wouldn't let anybody get saved and everybody get saved. And they go to seed on it. I heard about a, a church and I heard it was in North Georgia. I wish it was in North Tennessee. All you Georgia fans smile right there, amen. Some of you wish you was Georgia fans. But anyway, um, and, and they were, they were, this guy was just going to seed. Every time he said something, he'd say, it's predestined, foreordained. They're having dinner on the ground. And he picked up a chicken leg. And he said, it's predestined, foreordained for the foundations of the world that I eat this chicken leg. Well, the assistant pastor had all he could of that doctor. And he snatched that chicken leg out of his hand and ate it real quick. He says, not this time. <laughs> and they say that the church split over that very dinner on the ground, and another church started down the road. Sounds like Dalton, Georgia, don't it? <laughs> Amen. I want to tell you something. Some people think that some people are destined to hell, and some people think they're destined to heaven. Well, let me show you, friend, that God doesn't predestine anybody to hell. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Can somebody say amen? amen. Our theme for the missions conference or missions revival, I don't like to call it a conference, that sounds dead. Mission Revival is let the light shine in the dark world. Shining the light in a dark world. Isn't this a dark world? I want to tell you, it's a, it's, a, it's a deadly world. It's a confusing world. And people are all mixed up. And a lot of people are mixed up about salvation. It's a whosoever. Aren't you glad that you're a whosoever? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And look at verse 3 and 4. If this doesn't make you uh, excited, I don't know what will. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let's go to 2 Timothy. I'll get it in a minute. 2 No, it's 1 Timothy, I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Hey, you'll get old one day, praise God. Don't you laugh at me, amen. That's the first mistake I've made this morning. <laughs> but look at this. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, here it is. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Did you see that verse? It said, who would have all men to be what? Saved. How many believe every word of is in the word of God is the word of God? Say amen. If you don't, come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Brother Randy will lead singing. Brother Jeremy will do the preaching. I'll be on the front row praying. And I'm excited about it. And so folks, listen, I want to say this. Is that, uh, not, now some would say, well, I'm not of the elect. But I want to tell you something. You are a part of the all. All have come short of the glory of God and all can be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now folks, that's about as clear as it can be. And if you believe the word of God, he said he's not willing that any should perish. So don't say some are predestined to go to hell. and Some are predestined not to be the elect. Look at Matthew chapter 23. I'll show you. I think this is the most convincing verses. Matthew 23, verse 37. And pray I can find it. Amen. But no, Matthew chapter 23 and verse um, 
37. They say the first thing goes is your eyes, but I think it's your mind, amen? Matthew chapter 23. But I'm not that old. Look at this. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou killest the prophets and stoneth them that are sent uh, unto thee. And how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left into desolate. Folks, I want you to see this. Jesus coming down off the Mount of Olives, about to go to Jerusalem, there for Palm Sunday. And that crowd is saying, Hail him, hail him, Hosanna. But he knows in a few days that same crowd at bloody Calvary will be hollering, not hail him, but nail him. And Jesus is weeping, convulsing with salty tears, saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stoneth the prophets that are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thee, even as a hen doth her little chicks beneath her wings, but ye would not. Jesus said, you would have. He said, I would have, but you wouldn't. Now, folks, I want to submit to you that if he said, I would have, but you couldn't, those tears is a, those tears is a charade. Why is he crying? Why is he weeping? Why is he burdened? Why are those tears? Why is Jesus weeping? What is, what is it all about is he's saying, I would have you to be saved, but you wouldn't. He didn't say you couldn't. He said you wouldn't. And folks, if you're lost, it's your fault. If you remain lost and go to hell, it'll be your fault. Jesus has paid it all. And Jesus has sent out a universal call to every person to be saved. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. I told you I'd show you a lot of scriptures this morning. I hope that don't offend you. It ought to help you. Amen. 1 John 2, 2. says, and he is the propitiation for our sins. You know what that long word propitiation means? I had to look it up too. It means the satisfying of God's justice. Look at this now. And not only for yours, but also for the sins of the, say it with me class, whole world. Folks, red, yellow, black, and white, they're precious in God's sight. Amen? Oh, there'll be a prejudiced bone in your body. Amen? Folks, I want to tell you something. All souls matter to Jesus. No matter where they're coming from, where they live, what color skin they might have, folks, Jesus loves them all and so should we. Amen? Whosoever, that the whole world might be saved. And when, see, and when God sees you trusting him, folks, I want to tell you something. He foreknew it. And folks, he, and then he, after you get saved, he predestines you to be like him. That's why it's absurd if you get saved and you don't go to church regular. It's absurd. And it's absurd if you think you're saved and you never want to go to church. Folks, the desire of your heart should be the Word of God. You ought to, be want, to, you ought to want to be like Jesus more than anything on this earth. You're not, you're not, you, you shouldn't want to be like Freddie Freeman. Come on, Braves fans, say amen right there, amen. You shouldn't want to be like uh, uh, Matty Ice. 
You shouldn't want to be like some movie star or some rock and roll star. God forbid if you want to be like them. Go ahead and paint your face and act like Kiss if you want to, but you shouldn't want to be like them. You shouldn't want to be like me. You shouldn't want to be like any person. You ought to be like Jesus. Amen? God saved you to be conformed to his image. We should not try to reform the church. We ought to conform the church to God's image. Amen? And there's a reformation going on today by these intellects that think they know more about predestination and more about foreknowledge than anyone, and so they're going to reform the church. Don't get me started there. Then the third thing I want you to see is another word in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Come on. Here it is. It says, Moreover, he did predestine them, he also called. I want you to know there's a calling. We're called. The Greek word call comes from the word we get the summons. Matter of fact, it was a, you'll do a Bible study on this word or a word study. I love word studies. Folks, I want to tell you something. It was a summons to court. How any, anyone, how can anybody be called to be a child of God? Well, that's a good question. How are you called? Some people say, oh, there it is, take it out of context again. They'll say, oh, you're, you're the called, and you're, you're, you're the called, but you're not the called, so you're, you're going to hell. No, folks, we're all called. But I want to tell you how you hear the call. The call comes through the anointed preaching or sharing of the Word of God. Whenever the gospel's preached, God's call is extended. Amen? Some people yesterday in the afternoon got upset by a couple in our church going door-to-door over at the apartments. I believe the apartments, Kevin, you live in, door-to-door, and they got really upset because they woke them up at 1 o'clock. I mean, really upset. Some of them got a little, one of them got really uh, unkind, I'll say that. You know, just sort of aggravated. And I want to tell you something, friend. If they only knew the message and how much they need the message, they'd want anyone, anytime to interrupt their little life. Say amen right there. Now, I understand I don't like to get interrupted when I'm eating spaghetti because they usually have it all over me, or I don't like to get interrupted when I'm sleeping because my hair is not placed in the right place. No, I don't like to get interrupted either. But I want to tell you something. I'm glad that one Sunday night, Brother Jeremy, James P. McDonald interrupted my life by preaching on hell. And I mean, he preached it with anointing and power, and I realized I was being called to be saved. As a son of a drunk that had nobody, nothing to offer anyone, God was calling me out of that life, calling me out of a dismal future, calling me from the pit of hell, and calling me to be a child of the king. And folks, it was the greatest day of my life. I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All the books of the Bible and the New Testament are together with T's and they're alphabetical, if that'll help you. Amen? But 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look at verse 13 and 14. I believe this will help you. Amen. It says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, Beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth. Look at verse 14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
When God chooses, and dear friend, he has chosen you and he's chosen me. We don't deserve it. We're not good candidates for holiness. But I want to tell you something. He chose us in spite of us and he called us with his word. You ought to thank God for the word this morning. You ought to count this Bible as precious. It's more important than any other word. It's the greatest counsel that you'll ever receive. I was, uh, something popped up on my iPad while I was studying this morning real early. And for some reason, it was talking about several years back, Dr. Phil got a divorce and it only cost him a million dollars. Now all these celebrities, when they got get divorced, some of them $100 million and $74 million. I mean, boy, I'm telling you what, they must have married him for their money, amen? But I thought to myself, this guy has made himself famous counseling other people about how to stay married and be married, and he only had a marriage last three years. Now, I know some of y'all been through the trauma of divorce, and I'm not putting you down, but I want to tell you something, friend. I thank God we got a book, and we got a God that's, that's there's not anything ever happened to him to doubt his counsel. Amen? He's the living God. He's the perfect God. Amen? That's like going to me and asking me how to grow hair. That ain't going to work, amen? I, ain't, I can't give you the counsel on that. And I want to say this, friend. A lot of people will not go to Sunday school and church, but they'll listen to Dr. Phil every day. And they'll go on his show, and they'll do everything they can to get some counsel from a guy that folks, I don't know if he ought to be counseling unless you take the Word of God for marriage, the Word of God for how to keep a relationship. Hey, Folks has been through that trauma. The Word of God had to rebuild your life by God's grace. Say amen. It's the Word of God that's the, it's the counselor. But it's the God of the Word that calls you and then helps you become more like Him. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't think I can show you too many scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 23 and 24. Pray for me as I preach, okay? Sometimes it's not as easy to preach subjects, but it needs to be preached. And I want you to look at verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at 23 and 24. Y'all know the verses, but I won't read them anyway. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. See, they're too wise for the gospel. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. And so, folks, it says, For we see your calling, brethren, and how that many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, nor many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Folks, don't try to figure out salvation. Just when God calls you and convicts you that you're lost and going to hell, get saved. Come to Him now. He's calling you out of depression. He's calling you out of confusion. He's calling you out of this old dark world into the light of His presence and love. He's calling you out. And folks, He's calling you unto Himself. And it's the greatest call in the world. It's called the call of repentance. 
It's called the call of salvation. Aren't you glad that one day you were sitting in church minding your own business and Jesus called you through the preaching and teaching, through the track that was handed on, out on the doorstep or whatever God used to call you. But I guarantee you, it was the Word of God. See, the Holy Spirit takes the infallible Word of God, the truth of the gospel, and preaches it to your heart. And it's a call. It's a personal call. Don't ever get the idea that it was your idea to be saved. God came looking for you when you wasn't looking for Him. Say amen. And all have come short of the glory of God. And we're dead in our sins and trespasses. And God quickens us from death into life. It's a miracle. Salvation is a wonderful miracle, but it's not dependent upon your works. It's not dependent upon who you are or where you've been or what you've done or if you're the elect or you're not the elect. It's whosoever will. He's calling you. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the last call in the Bible. Revelation 22. Verse 17, the Bible says this, and the spirit and the bride says what? Come. Let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Freely. Thank God that God's calling you to be saved. Oh, what a pray for those precious children up in junior church. And then Miss Anita sitting down there with those little preschool children. And a lot of them can't be saved yet. They're not, a, not the age of accountability. But praise God, the seed's being planted. The call's being planted. The conviction's being planted. Isn't that precious? A lot goes on outside this little room here. And folks, I want you to know it's because God has called us to call people to be saved. But it's not our calling. It's God's calling. That's why I'm saying, preacher, if you don't preach the Word of God, you're wasting people's time. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, when Peter preached, save yourself from this untoward generation. And 3,000 people were saved. Peter was a stumbling coward before he became filled with the Spirit of God and became a mighty preacher. And what did he preach? He preached the Word. He preached the Word. 3,000 people were saved. Let me hurry. My time's up almost. Because y'all don't give me an hour to preach. But anyway, uh, number four, justification. I want you to write it down. Justification. Look back in our text again. This verse is powerful. All verses are powerful, but this is packed with power. Just these words. For whom he did foreknow, he predestined them, also called, and to whom he called them, he also justified. Now you say, what is justification? You could even sound out the word, just if I'd never sinned. Amen? Oh, it's wonderful uh, to be justified. Uh, verse 33 says this, who, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Oh, friend, let me tell you this. God just declares you righteous after you get truly saved. And it's a gift. It's not of works. Folks, if it was, we'd get up to heaven and say, well, I guess I'm justified because I hung on. I prayed through. I got baptized. I took the Lord's Supper. Catholics believe that. 
uh, <clears throat> uh, I went to church every Sunday. I got pins hanging down to my belt of perfect attendance. My mother made me go to Sunday school. I had perfect attendance from the time I was born to the time I got saved. Then I wanted to go to Sunday school. God gave me a new want to. But those pins didn't get me into heaven. My works didn't get me to heaven. But I'll tell you what did get me to heaven is hearing the gospel from the time I was born <clears throat> that I had a mother that got us up on Sunday morning and says, you're going to go to Sunday school and church and Sunday night and Wednesday, whether you want to or not, because you're not going to turn out like your blooming daddy. That's exactly what she said. And then daddy got saved while I was preaching. And seven years later, he went to glory. And folks, I want to tell you something. Justified. It's more than a pardon for sin. We're saved from the wrath. That's pardon. But we're saved and made pure to become more like Jesus. That's justification. It's not only forgiveness of sin, it's the impartation of righteousness. See, it's just if I'd never sinned, but as though I'd always been righteous. Justification is a miracle from God. God sees that sinners uh, that get saved or justified and he looks at them through Jesus and through the blood <clears throat> and he says they're justified. Let me give you an illustration. No human court can justify you. For example, you're charged with a crime <clears throat> and you know the president. How many of you know the president? Don't, don't raise your hands. You know the governor. You know the mayor. I don't even know the mayor. Amen. But I know two senators, praise God. And you go to court and you pull some strings and spend a whole lot of money and all of a sudden they acquit you. Uh, they, they pardon you. And folks, you were still guilty. That's, that you, you just don't have the punishment of it. That's what a court can do. Here's another thing. Suppose the court said, uh, <coughs> not only will give you a pardon, but you come and you're acquitted. That means uh, um, you were guilty, uh, or you're not guilty, and you're acquitted. You're found. You're found innocent. See, no human court can justify. Because listen to me now. Justification is you're guilty. <clears throat> you're as guilty as guilty can be. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Lord now marks no blemish on your record. See, let me just put it this way real quick. At Calvary, he took your sins. And when you believe in the Lamb of God and the blood of Jesus, you take his righteousness. <clears throat> and I'm not going to say what a deal. I'm going to say what a gift. That we're transferred righteousness to our account because he took the sin. Thank God we're justified by his blood. That's a miracle. That ought to put a smile upon a frowning face. I want you to look at Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Romans 4, 5. I know this is no shouting message, but somebody ought to really shout over this, that you're justified. Not acquitted, found innocent. Not pardoned, you was guilty, but somebody got you off. <clears throat> And you are pardoned because of Jesus' blood, but thank God, you're justified. Just if, if you'd never sinned and that you'd always been righteous. Look at Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh <clears throat> not, not, him that worketh not, 
but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, this his faith is counted for what? Righteousness. <clears throat> now look at verse 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. <clears throat> he transferred righteousness to you. And folks, I want you to see this. If you could take one word out of the, the, the thesaurus or the dictionary to describe Almighty God, if you only have one word, I believe that one word might be holy. Holy. The angels say, holy, holy, holy. He's holy. <clears throat> and folks, listen. Sin is his mortal enemy. Sin is a clenched fist in the face of God. <clears throat> and if sin were to ever prevail, and God was ever to let one sin go unpunished, God would cease to be holy. God would topple off his throne of holiness. But God does not punish sins. If God did not punish sin, then he's not holy. But when God justified a man, God never merely overlooks your sin. But he sent his darling son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who left heaven, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died upon the cross and poured out his rich, red, royal, perfect blood as a sacrifice, an atonement for your sin to satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. And your sin is paid in full, the propitiation, by the blood of Jesus. Look at Romans 5, 9, I'll close. It says, much more than being now justified by the blood, ye shall be saved from the wrath through him. He's not overlooking sin. He just knows that he treated his son as if he did it. And he can forgive you if you accept Jesus. If you'll accept the lamb, the scapegoat, the substitute, the lamb of God. Wait a minute, I got one more. I got one more word. You got time? If you got time, I'm going to preach it whether you've got time or not. Amen. Some of you were hitting the door, but I'm going to preach it. I want you to look at verse 30 again. One more word. I can't leave this word out. Are you saved and saved forever? Can you lose your salvation? That's a good question. A lot of people believe that. Uh, see, there's extreme thoughts. The Arminians or the Church of God believe you can lose your salvation. Here's the Calvinists over here on the other side, hyper-Calvinists. They think you have nothing to do with your salvation. It's all appointed grace. But I want to tell you something, friend. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says this, and this is such a comfort to know once you get saved, you're going to heaven. You say, no, I got to hold on. I got to pray through. I got to do this, got to do that, and keep on doing that. But here it is. Over whom he did predestine, look at it. Them he also called. To whom he called, them he also justified. To whom he justified, them he also what? Glorified. Would you say duh? Because we can say duh a lot. Let's say glorified. That's past tense. Once you get saved, he glorified you. What's that mean? It's not that he's going to glorify you. He's already glorified you. You say, well, preacher, are you, are, you're not glorified. You don't even look glorified. Not this morning, I don't feel glorified. I'm struggling a little bit. Can you tell? Amen. <clears throat> but, and, you know, my eyes are probably giving out a little bit. Maybe my breath's giving out a little bit. 
and I've already had this, so y'all don't panic and send out a, a, a rumors about me, but I want to tell you something, friend. I'm not glorified physically, but I am glorified spiritually. And folks, remember, we're watching the parade one float at a time down here, but God sees me not just preaching at 2134 Dugout Road. He sees me in heaven right now. He sees me already there. Thank God, folks, we're already like Jesus, positionally. We're already with Jesus. We're already positionally leaping and praising God. Folks, I believe in eternal security because we're already there. We're already there. You say, prove it scripturally. I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. It's the next to last verse you're going to hear from me this morning. Can't wait to tonight. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. You with me? How many's got your Bible? Say amen. amen. It's the Word of God. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Not a hope, I hope I'm saved. I've asked a lot of people, are you saved? Well, I hope so. No, this is a hope that's steadfast because that hope is an anchor. Look at this, verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. When you're in Jesus, think where he's at. He's in heaven. Our forerunner's already gone there. So you don't put your anchor in baptism. You don't put your anchor in uh, Lord's Supper. You don't put your anchor in good works. Your anchor's in Jesus, and Jesus is already there. So positionally speaking, you're glorified. And the Bible says, whom he called, whom he predestined, uh, he glorified E.D. Folks, Jesus wants you to believe that once you're saved, you're saved. And that don't mean you live like you want to because number one, you don't want to. Number two, you're scared to because I've been to the woodshed that God sent me to. And folks, I want to tell you something. There is a fear of God once you get saved. You don't want to sin. Sin's an exception, not a profession. Say amen. So don't ever let some people say, well, if you Baptists believe in eternal security, that means you can live like you want to. Wrong, you don't want to. And you're scared to. You don't want the wrath of God upon you. You don't want the chastening of God, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Let me give you this, John chapter 10, verse 27, 28. And I promise you this is it. But I've got to be thorough on this verse. John 10. Y'all know the verse, 27. My sheep hear my voice. That's why I believe you're saved, you want to hear his voice. Say amen. You want to hear his word. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's repentance. Repentance not to get saved, but repentance because you are saved, amen? I mean, you turn, yes, that's, that's believing. It's not just believing about, it's believing in him. And if you believe in him, you're going to follow him. So my sheep know me and they follow me. But look at this. And I give unto them, what's the next two words? Eternal life. 
How long, class, is eternal life? It's forever glorified. And they shall never perish. They shall what? They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. Folks, there's a divine link for knowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification that ought to give you such blessed assurance. You ought to be sure of your predestination to be like Jesus. But First of all, you ought to be sure of the foreknowledge of your salvation. God knew you was going to get saved. He didn't make you get saved. He didn't choose just you and let your neighbor go to hell. Hey folks, you ought to be sure of your calling to salvation. That God called you through His Word. And you ought to be sure of his justification. It's through the blood. And you ought to be sure of his eternal glorification. Father, use this message, this one powerful verse, these five powerful words to help us realize what good doctrine's all about, what biblical doctrine's all about. It's all about you being higher than we are smarter than we are and more powerful than we are. And God, we can't, we, can't, we can't wrap our little minds around foreknowledge. We can't even understand predestination. But God, you said we're predestined for holiness. We're to be conformed to your image and that all things work together as we respond by faith for our good. And the good thing is that God's called us to a good calling of being like you being like Jesus, that love God. Thank you, Lord, for eternal salvation. I love the old song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that blindness could not knock that out of Fanny J. Crosby's mind. She saw you who was invisible. And she knew that she was saved, saved, saved by His grace divine. So Lord, help us to take this lesson this morning. It's been a lot of teaching, a lot of verses, which I don't apologize for. And God, help us to realize how wonderful it is to be eternally saved and have eternal life. But Lord, I know that in a crowd this big, there's somebody probably that's never received your call. And Lord, may I beg them to hear the Word of God They've already heard the Word of God. They lived in America. And God, I pray that they'd help them see this a powerful call from Calvary to be saved, to be justified, to be glorified, and to be sanctified, to be more like you, which is a wonderful life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, a moment of invitation. I mean to say, preacher, learned something this morning but also realize that I need to be more like Jesus and I realize that my calling is to be more like Jesus to be conformed to his image and I need to read my Bible more I need to pray more but I don't need to just do it as a religious ceremony or religious act I need to do it so I can be more like Jesus so I can find out Jesus would have me do. What would Jesus do? Well, read the Bible. 
you say, Preacher, the Lord's convicted me that I just need to be more conformed to His image. I want you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up high for prayer? I've got to raise mine. Amen. All over this place. It's good. Amen. Let me say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. If I died today, by the good grace of God, I know that I'd go to heaven instead of hell. And I just thank God that I'm ready. And I know that by the grace of God, I trusted the Lord as my Savior and His blood that was shed at Calvary. Would you raise your hand as a happy testimony? Everybody's not looking. Everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed. It's private. It's personal. I mean, glad you're saved, say me. Saved forever. I think it's good salvation if you're doubting it all the time. He's a good Savior. Several could not raise your hand and you say, Preacher, this morning, just not sure. You ought to be sure of this. I'm not absolutely 100% sure that I'm going to heaven. And I realize God's calling me and I need you to pray for me. Would you lift your hand up and say, Preacher, please remember in your close of prayer. We won't come to you. We won't embarrass you. We won't do any of that. We just want to do the most we can do for you. We want to pray for you. Anyone? I want to pray for you. Anyone? I'm sure there's little children back there responding to the gospel. Junior church, I'm sure they're responding to the gospel. We need to become as a dear child, have childlike faith. I'll let pride keep us back. Father, thank you for the message. I pray it's been a message and not just a sermon or an outline. God, I thank you for teaching me some things and driving in my heart how wonderful it is to be saved and know that I'm saved forever. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for taking our place, taking our sin debt. Lord, thank you for giving us your righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. God, it's holy righteousness. God, may we grow thereby, become more like you every day. Here's our prayer in Jesus' name.